Atlanta's dangerous dwellings, rodents, roaches, violent crime ever present. It's been three shootings over here, and I just heard gunshots again. These people are just shooting, and they've been fighting all night in my neighborhood. I hear gunshots in the apartment. A man just got shot. Welcome to a special edition of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Bill Nygut. Back in the summer of 2022, AJC investigative reporter Willow B. Mariano and a team of reporters, data crunchers, and more shocked the conscience of readers when they published the results of a year-long investigation called Dangerous Dwellings. The series exposed deplorable living conditions at more than 250 apartment complexes in the metro area. Now, a little more than a year later, Mariano has written a follow-up looking at whether city leaders, landlords, the courts, and others have made any improvements in conditions in the apartment complex she and her team exposed in 2022. We'll ask her what she's found in just a minute. But first, a reminder. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss our analysis of the crucial political news coming out of Georgia, Washington, and other parts of the country. You're listening to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. I want to start by looking at where things stand today, Willow B. Mariano, because you published a wonderful story in the Sunday AJC about, about just that, a little more than a year after you published your series on dangerous dwellings. But before I do, if you don't mind, let me read some of your words back to you to set the stage for just what you found when you began investigating. You said this. A potent mix of lax security, deferred maintenance, governmental inertia, and Georgia's weak tenant protection laws has rendered much of the region's affordable housing barely habitable. More than a thousand apartment complexes in Fulton, DeKalb, Cobb, Gwinnett, and Clayton counties are part of the problem. At least three-fourths of the region's most dangerous apartments belong to private equity firms and other absentee investors under whom crime and squalor are not so much bad fortune as collateral damage from a widely followed business model. And we should point out that you identified in your research more than 250 chronically dangerous complexes with violent crime, horrific living conditions, rats, garbage, leaking pipes, and mold that sicken many residents, especially children. And as you point out in your series, more than 13,000 school-aged children 
live in 144 of the complexes in Metro Atlanta. Willoughby, thanks so much for joining us today. When the series first came out in June of 2022, I, like so many other readers, was stunned that there are conditions like this where our neighbors are living. But this reporting goes back more than two years for you, yes? Yes, it does. By now, I came back after doing a fellowship out of town at Harvard, wanting to do more about affordable housing. And fortunately, my editor, Lois Norder, she was the the engine, the brains behind this, because one of the most powerful things you can do about a problem is to count it. And now there is far more data available. It takes a lot of work to figure out which apartments are the biggest problems and what kinds of impacts they're having on their communities. And the toll is staggering. I think that even for people like me who who tend to be in these apartment complexes more often than not, although I'm fortunate not to live there, I mean, it, you, it's hard to comprehend the weight that these communities have, you know, how much they drag down the people who live in them, the, their neighbors, you know, the, the public services that they take up. It's extraordinary. We need to point out that until your data crunchers and you gathered information about the number of housing complexes that are substandard, dangerous places to live, infested with crime, no one had ever done this before. What led you to decide this was a story you really needed to follow? Well, there's a long evolution behind this. Of course, my editor, again, she, Lois, had an incredible interest in this subject, having lived in really complicated housing situations in her past. And for me, for years and years, I was a cops reporter. I covered crime. And almost always, when I, when I went to a scene, crime was not the only problem. It was conditions. And I remember once going to, I think it was a triple or quadruple murder in an apartment complex. And yes, people wanted to talk to me about the impact that the violence was having on their children. But what they showed me was the mold growing out of their ceilings. What they showed me are the nebulizers that their children had to use every night in order to sleep safely and wake up the next morning. They lived in Uh, these grinding conditions uh, that no one should have to live in, especially, and no one should have to raise kids in, certainly. I mean, it was so bad that after a while, I would keep on going back. And I, you know, I got sick and ended up in the hospital with a, with a bad asthma attack. It's a, this is, it's inexcusable. And, and for years we've been, you know, I and other reporters have had thought about ways to cover this in, in, in a meaningful, systemic way. And, And this was the, the solution we fell upon. So when the series first broke, starting in June of 2022, you got immediate reaction from any number of city leaders who said, we're determined to solve this problem. And your most recent story, published again in the Sunday AJC, which people can get at AJC.com, talks about whether progress has been made or has not been made. But before we talk about that, I'd like to talk about a woman who you feature in the news story. Danielle Russell, who lives at Pavilion Place, one of the complexes which you've identified as being a dangerous place to live. Talk about Danielle, about who she is, about the conditions in which she is living, and about the ways in which she has tried to fight back. 
Danielle is an artist. She's a mother. She's a hard worker. And she has fallen on hard times. She's had a bit of bad luck. The The kinds of quality jobs that she could use and would be capable of doing don't, uh, you know, haven't existed for her in a while. And one thing, though, she she knows is that she needs to advocate for herself and her children. And for ever since she moved in, she realized that the level of advocacy she had to do was extraordinary. Rats, for instance, did not seem to get a whole lot of attention from her landlords. And I mean, you and I know rats are dangerous. They are not healthy. And and she was unable to get results. She's efficient. She is smart. She documents the problems extensively. She can be diplomatic. She can be difficult as she needs to be. She can talk to city council people and befriend them. She can talk to neighbors and befriend them. She's charismatic. And yet none of these skills, the kinds of things that you and I would be able to use to to just get something simple done, it, you know, they, they don't work here. This, this system is broken. You talk about her conditions. Let's talk about them a little more. Uh, you said she's an artist. One of the things that she talked to you about in the most recent interview is that she does collage work. And she talks about the fact that she sees roaches crawling across the artwork that she is doing, that she has around her apartment, that ruins the work she's been doing. She's dealt with rodents, with rats in the apartment. It, I, I'm interested... She's also at crime. I mean, you talk about someone who she heard shot to death, an intruder right outside the door of her apartment, right? It's horrible. I mean, you know, she's a creative person. She's she's a person who has a a, a beautiful sort of life of the imagination. And and you need at least a little material security. She doesn't, you know, or you know, or something there to be able to feel safe and be able to create. And she doesn't have that. I mean, literally, she described how roaches would march across gold leafing that she was using in her collage art. As as the leafing was dried, leaving these strange little trails, you know, there's the fear that she has when men, it's, it's usually men, try to open the door of her apartment. And she has had to spend her own money and get help from her adult son to install better locks. This is not something that her apartment complex is interested in doing. I mean, she, you'll, you'll see when you go visit her, you'll walk up the stairs and see strange objects, you know, trash that squatters have left behind in her hallway. She'll go out, you know, her door in the morning to head to work and have to argue with them and step over them and worry about whether or not they're going to attack her or, or do something, you know, or just be honorary or, or just be erratic. This is not this is not a good way to live. Um, she let, let's I want to talk about you a little bit in terms of this, because Danielle is really one of only hundreds and hundreds of people who you and your colleagues have documented that live in these conditions in various apartment complexes around Metro Atlanta. But let's stay with her for a moment. You visited her apartment. You visited many other apartments with these conditions. You already mentioned it. You don't live like that. I don't live like that. What feeling personally do you have when you walk into these places, these apartments, and think about the fact that, as I said, people in our own community are dealing with on a daily basis? What I think about 
actually is how much they are like me. You walk through their door, and, and you know, Danielle's a case of this. So you, you walk in the door, and I remember the first time I visited her, I saw her, the vintage pot holders she, she had from her mother, the crocheted pot holders from the 1970s that she had on the wall, and, and the, the sort of bohemian macrame that she had thrifted or, or found through her, you know, her little foraging for art, and uh, the pillows she had. They were me. They were the things that I would put in my home to feel comfortable. And, and then there were the things that she couldn't control. Her floor, you can't clean that floor. There was the fact that she had to put her spices and her silverware in her refrigerator because she was afraid of the roaches crawling all over them. I mean, that was the only way she could keep them safe. There's the constant cleaning. There's the constant, you know, that doesn't work. There's the, the constant worry that the reason her lights all of a sudden stopped working was because the, the, there was some strange electrical spark that could set her apartment on fire, which has happened. That apartment has set on fire. Well, not her unit, but adjoining units. Uh, it, it's a life of constant instability and worry about threats that aren't minor. Uh, some of these are mortal threats. Uh, especially, you know, the people with the guns, the, the, the people who shoot outside every, every day. So it's startling to think how much different her life would be and how much even more like me she would have been if she simply had a safe, decent place to live. Yeah. One of the things you talk about is that she's afraid to sleep at night because she worries about these creatures, whether they're roaches or rodents crawling across her bed. You say that she's lost weight because of her anxiety. So I'm going to acknowledge something that I think a lot of people may relate to. Years ago, when my family and I moved into the house we now live in, the roof line was open, little, it was open about a half inch to let air in to keep the ceiling from the roof from overheating. But because of that, rodents would come into our attic and we could hear them scurrying around. And every now and then we'd see a rat in our kitchen, our living room, our bedroom. Now, fortunately, we managed to fix that over the years. I think any number of us have had this experience of how awful it is to find ourselves invaded like that. I have the means to deal with that. Danielle and the many others have to turn to landlords and perhaps to government to fix their problems. Yeah, it's, it's quite difficult. You know, we've all had vermin problems. There's no shame in that. It, it, and, but what's extraordinary to me is that, so in the middle of the night, she would send me video and audio of the sound of these rats in the walls. And it wasn't just one. It wasn't just two. There was a crowd of them in there. This is not something we would tolerate. We would we would put on our credit cards if we didn't have any money, you know, whatever it took to get them out of the walls. We know what kind of damage they do. This is not only, you know, something that she couldn't afford to do. She can't tear out the wall, you know, of her apartment. But it's also legally not her responsibility. She does not gain, you know, a home value because she's gotten rid of rats. It really is a different order of helplessness. Now that we've talked a bit about the conditions that one resident of one of the dangerous dwellings, one of many that Willoughby and her team uncovered, we're going to turn to how things have changed since her series made its impact a year ago. We'll do that 
And then we'll talk about a larger issue, the lack of affordable housing. There's no place for many of these people to go. We'll get to that after this break. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. We think that the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, Greg Bluestein, now Adam Van Brimmer from Savannah, every morning put together a roundup of important political news they want you to know about. Now, you can get it in your inbox every day if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. You'll get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. You will always know what's going on in politics here. Willoughby Mariano, thank you so much for being with us to talk about the latest installment of your Extraordinary series, and I don't use that word lightly. It's been just extraordinary. And one of the things that's dangerous dwellings, one of the things that I thought yesterday when I picked up the paper was, you know, sometimes journalists are accused of highlighting important issues in a community and then dropping them, moving on to other things. More than a year later, you are back to tell us if things have changed or not. And to me, that is reporting at its finest. So congratulations for that. Thank you. All right, so let's talk. There was a lot of reaction last year to your series. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis said she was going to go to war to try to deal with these 250 housing complexes, which you and your partners found were substandard, where people were living in dangerous conditions. City Council President Doug Shipman wanted to appoint a task force. He turned to, who did he turn to to start that task force? Oh, well, this gets a little complicated. The Actually, it's Council Member Michael Julian Bond did start a, a task force that was actually a little prior to publication and then put Danielle Russell on one of the, you know, in, in one of the seats. They have not met. He has not really told us why, though we would be happy to learn. Doug Shipman, for whom Danielle Russell was a volunteer during his campaign, he was the one who appointed Danielle to the commission because he knew about her, her situation. All right. So there was this flurry of activity or apparent activity quickly. But as you tell us today, there may be a few incremental improvements here and there. But for the most part, things have not gotten a great deal better. And we should start about talking about that conversation by pointing out something that you do in your series, which is we've learned that Georgia has some of the weakest tenant protection laws in the country. So as a starting point, there's not a whole lot, at least that exists today, to protect the people you've written about. Yes, there, there was a lot of talk in the past year about improving things. So 
in the state of Georgia, there is no requirement that a landlord provide a property that is fit for human habitation. You must pay rent no matter what. Even if you can't live in the apartment that you have, you must pay rent. Now, there was an effort in the House, out H-Bill 404, to improve this, to actually require fit for human habitation. Uh, you know, that is that would be a thing. But, you know, it didn't pass the Senate. It didn't even come up for a vote. It did, however, pass unanimously to a standing ovation in the House. So I think that was a great frustration. You know, by all appearances, an incredible, incredibly popular bill, although I'm sure all sorts of people have, you know, it's certain that everyone had a little bit of a, an issue with it. But a lot of people thought that this this could make great, meaningful change in the state of Georgia. That d- doesn't seem to be a certain thing at all. And now, as you know, next year in the legislative session, it will still be up. But I know that its opponents have been working pretty hard to to change the language in it. One of the things we should point out in terms of that is that the owners of these apartment complexes, some of which are owned by equity firms, which bundle them as part of larger financial packages to sell to their customers, some are individually owned by, you have one example of a I think it's safe to say multi-gazillionaire in California who, does he own the, am I right, he owns the uh, apartment complex that Danielle is in? Yes, he owns Pavilion Place Apartments. He has a very comfortable life according to a, you know, a recent divorce filing. You know, luxury spa memberships, expensive tutors for his children, you know, regular $300 meals several times a week. And what we should point out is that because... There's a lot of money invested in the substandard dangerous complexes. These folks have very powerful lobbyists at the state capitol. And we don't, I don't think we know, although you can tell me if I'm wrong, exactly why the bill you're describing passed so with such a great majority in the House and then failed in the Senate. We can suspect that certainly there was an aggressive effort to stop it in the legislature in general by the representatives of these rich owners of these complexes, yes? Yes, and and I think there is also a false idea that a lot of the people who live in these conditions either deserve it or want it or somehow brought it upon themselves. Uh, and, and that has been said openly in prior, in prior debates about improving conditions in housing. So... It, it can be very hard to under to overcome those prejudices. And, you know, in addition to a very powerful real estate lobby that, that tends to band together, whether they be in the home building side of things, the, the, the rental side of things, the bill to rent side of things, they tend to stick together and, and they have a lot of votes. They, they've got a big pack. They've got a lot of money and they have a lot of say. Okay, so the legislature failed, at least during this session, as you point out, it's a biennial session, so they will have that bill again next January to look at, but so far they've failed. What about the apartment complex managers? To what extent have you seen any effort to improve conditions? And I know it's not like there's one answer for all of these complexes, but to what extent have you seen some landlords look at problems and try to make changes that will improve the life for the tenants. It depends entirely upon ownership now and management, I guess, too. Those are often separate companies. Mm. The I have seen a couple of these complexes try to shift into gear a bit. The, so the city is instituting what it calls the Safe and Secure Housing Program, which is a program that looks at 
the most troubled apartment complexes and tries through litigation to pressure apartment complexes into compliance. One, for instance, now called the Hills at Greenbrier, used to be called the Life at Greenbrier, has finally instituted security and it is now under a consent order to make improvements. And a, a code enforcement officer testified that they did make strides. However, you do have places like Pavilion Place, where I've gone in and interviewed tenants and seen squatters. And literally, there was a moment where I, I, I was in a parking lot. There, I was with a tenant who was yelling at a squatter who she didn't want around her property or around her daughter. And a representative of the management drove up in a tan Chevrolet and she looked at the squatter. She looked at me and she kicked me out, not the squatter. So it, it shows where the priorities are. It's about managing reputation, managing managing any fallout, and, and preserving this so-called asset, preserving something that makes money for the ownership. You point out that Daniel Russell is an example of someone who's really tried to take action. She herself has filed many complaints against the complex. She's tried to encourage her neighbors to file complaints, hoping to bury them in paperwork. One of the things that I found interesting about that section of your article, though, is that there are many tenants, whether it's not wanting to file complaints that Danielle suggests they do, or respond to inspectors who come into the building to see what the issues are. They don't want to answer their doors. They're afraid because they don't want to be evicted. This is the only place they have to live despite the conditions. Yes, that's very true. And when you go door to door, when you actually, you know, talk to the tenants who have had code complaints, a lot of them are on fixed income, on disability. They are terrified about their rent going up. And a lot of them have missed rent payments. It's just the economic reality that there's, you know, that a lot of people are late on their rent or, or, or don't make payments at all because they've been laid off or been too sick. And that puts them in a tenuous position. If they complain, they can get on the bad side of their management and, and get kicked out. You know, it's only a matter of time because all the manager has to do is sort of lie in wait till they mess up. And, and it's almost inevitable that, that they will be un, uh, unable to make rent in the next year or so. I mean, despite whatever best efforts they might have. And in addition, the amount of power a landlord has over the tiny details in a tenant's life is incredible. I mean, for instance, they could just stop sending pest control. And if you don't have pest control on a regular basis at one of these apartments, you have a uh, terrible problem, you know, within a couple weeks. They can just not send anyone to fix your stove. They can lose your work order and so force you to live with mold or, or rats or whatever sort of flooding you might have. They can just not turn off the giant industrial fire alarm that is screaming in your uh, hallway, malfunctioning, not because there's a fire, and just leave you miserable for a week. You also point out that even when people answer the door for an inspector, they sometimes lie because, again, they're afraid. So somebody says, yes, everything's just fine, and it turns out that water has been leaking from the ceiling and flooding the apartment, but the inspector doesn't know because the tenant is so terrified of what might happen if she or he reports the truth. You know, it's so sad, too. Again, going door to door. You know, I personally had uh, this experience where I talked to a very nice man who had 
you know, a giant hole in his ceiling that was documented by code enforcement, all sorts of other problems. You, you, you couldn't live there safely. And he said, oh, I can't go on the record, but I want to say how incredible my landlord has been and the, the management has been fixing up my apartment. And so I was happy to see that he was living in safe conditions. But as I was leaving, he said, well, but you know, my hot water hasn't worked uh, for near on a month. Do you know what I can do about that? Nearly a month, a man living without hot water, he's put in work orders, requests, and they just sort of come over and don't fix it and leave. Let, let's take an, uh, one more issue. We'll add one more layer to this conversation before we take our final break today. And that is that, I don't know that many is the correct word. You'll tell me if I'm right or wrong. But any number of these complexes are housing people who have mental illnesses. And that, too, is terribly sad. I think it's Danielle who talks about what it's like to see people wandering through the parking lot, talking to themselves, not quite sure where they are, where they're going. I mean, you know, even at a time when the state is trying to do something to improve mental health services, they are also paying tens of, I don't know, certainly tens of thousands, maybe millions of dollars to house mentally ill individuals in these complexes that are dangerous places to live. Oh, and it's a complicated problem because, again, there's very little housing and no landlord is obliged to accept government funding. And and Pavilion Place alone has received about a million dollars since 2020 to house, you know, about 40 or so people who are struggling with mental illness. And they do it through contractors. It's a it's a bleak situation, though, because this is not a therapeutic environment. If you are constantly hearing gunfire, if somebody's trying to break into your house, you do not feel safe. And, and you know, I talked to one woman who I didn't mention so much in the story, but who had incredible anxiety issues and OCD issues. And she had mouse droppings all over her house her, or her newly renovated apartment already was falling apart. And it was so difficult for her to handle. I mean, it would be it would be hard for you or I. You know, we like to keep our homes clean. But for somebody who has that, uh, you know, a compulsive need through no fault of her own, you know, it, it became this this situation. She had trouble speaking without crying when she described these problems to me. Again, before we take the break, I do want to make sure I go back and ask you about one aspect of what happened a year or so ago. I talked about landlords, managers who have done not much, legislators who got stalled in their efforts to pass a bill. But but I mentioned Fannie Willis, who said, we're going to go to war about a year ago. We'll put these people under orders that will take these complexes away from the owners if they don't do something. How has Fannie Willis's office responded in the year since they made these declarations? Uh, not a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm giving them a bit of leeway here because they said that if the city is ready and willing to cooperate, then they are ready to go to war. It, that's not how it happened. It ended up all being housed in the solicitor's office with the city instead of the, the DA's office. Uh, I'm not privy to those discussions. I, you know, if y'all, y'all want to tell me, I'd love to know. But, you know, so far, so far, the DA hasn't let us into that. It, it is, though, fundamentally, I mean, and traditionally, something that goes to the solicitor's office. So it would take a huge and concerted and, and complicated effort to bring something, you know, more on the DA level. Okay, Willoughby, let's do this. Let's get our final break out of the way. And when we come back, I do want to address what kind of is the underlying 
overall issue that leads to a lot of this, and that's no housing, no affordable housing, in many cases for people who are homeless, need some place to live, and end up in these dangerous apartment complexes. You're listening to Politically Georgia. We'll be right back. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to this special edition of Politically Georgia. I'm talking with Willoughby Mariano, who has um, been working for two years plus on a remarkable series that the AJC first published a year plus ago, June of 2022, about dangerous dwellings, some 250 apartment complexes across the metro area, which Willoughby and her team and others found to be safe conditions, violence, roaches, rodents, water leaks, mold, and so much more. And yesterday in the AJC, Sunday, Willoughby published a follow-up in which she looked at whether many improvements have been made. But Willoughby, you also addressed one of the most important aspects of all of this, and that's the lack of affordable housing. People like Danielle Russell is living in Pavilion Place because she can't afford to live anywhere else. Now, Mayor Dickens has made a commitment to building something like a 1,000 affordable housing units, but so far that's aspirational. So these people have nowhere to go. They're basically warehoused in dangerous places. I talked to the Atlanta Regional Commission about this and and sort of their back of the napkin estimate is it will take well over 100,000 additional units of affordable housing. And this is not subsidized housing or public government housing, but it's housing for families that make about $50,000 or less to actually get us in a situation where people can afford to live. Now, the bigger complication is that, you know, not only are these places becoming less affordable, but you can charge a lot more money than you used to for a place that's unlivable. People will just choose those locations instead of living on the street, and I don't blame them. And so what I found is that I, I get really excited. I, I keep tabs on a lot of tenants to see how they're doing. And and when one of them moves out, I, I you know, I get very happy. And then I say, hey, where are you moving to? And they say, oh, XYZ new apartment. And I look at my list, which is online, uh, www.ajc.com slash dwellings. <laughs> and I look at my list and say, oh, the next one you're going to also has problems. It meets the criteria of being a dangerous dwelling. And they'll say, well, maybe it's a little better. And I'll say, I really can't promise you that. I know it'll be different. There's really very little that you can do if you don't make a lot of money. You have a dinged kind of credit history, a past eviction filing, even if you haven't been fully you know, evicted from your apartment. There's very little you can do to get into decent housing in the Atlanta market. Willoughby Mariano, this conversation has been so enlightening, illuminating, just as this series has been for so many of us who have read your work. You're staying with us. 
you have any specific plans for what's next or are you keeping that to yourself? <laughs> I'm an investigative reporter. I'm like the grave. But actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear if anyone has ideas. I, you know, I really believe in, in listening to, to other people and, and, and having that inform my reporting. So I'm excited to keep on uh, chugging on. Well, it'll be, I, I said it a couple times already, but I think it's important to say it as we close. These people live in our community. We see them in the grocery store. We see them on the street. They are, as you pointed out, someone like Danielle Russell has dressed her apartment with the kind of knickknacks and things that you yourself might put in your place. And it just strikes me that thanks to your reporting, maybe we'll make a little progress in what we owe to people who deserve better places, safe places to live you want to make a final comment about that? Well, I'm just grateful that people are reading about this and and trying to do something about it. And 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 I hope that we can all agree about treating our neighbors in a decent way and that we can we can all make the kinds of decisions that will allow that to happen. Willoughby, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your spending time talking about this terribly important subject. And for people who want to catch up with your series, they can go to ajc.com slash dwellings. There'll be a drop-down box, which will show you every story in the series, starting with last June, and will be also includes a list of the apartment complexes that you have put together that people should avoid. So, Willoughby, thank you again for being with us on this special edition of Politically Georgia. Thank you. Before we go, the Politically Georgia podcast, as you all know, arrives on your podcast platform, whether it's Apple or whatever you use, every Wednesday and Friday. And for as long as uh, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy have been doing this podcast, it's always shown up at like four in the morning. So you'll have it first thing in the day. But because we'll soon be doing our show five days a week live at 10 a.m. on WABE Radio, we want to start adjusting to the schedule that we'll have then for the radio show and the podcast. So what does that mean? It means that starting this Wednesday, we will be recording the podcast at 10 a.m. And Shaney B. has promised us that by one o'clock in the afternoon, he will get that podcast posted. And Shaney B., what I love about that is we will have even fresher political news to share with our podcast listeners. Yep. When you think about it with as fast as the news cycle is going, anything can happen between the time we record <laughs> and the time we publish. So you're going to have fresher content, the latest breaking news, and we're going to give you the best that we can give you. Shani B., I love the way you said that. And thank you for uh, producing uh, today's special edition. Thanks so much for to all of you for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to the stories that we talked about today. We already mentioned ajc.com slash dwellings. Again, we release new episodes on Wednesdays and Fridays. And of course, special episodes like today's whenever big news breaks. So we'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Take care, everybody.
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.